worship him together forever around the throne. Thank you for being here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak with you this morning. I had Grant read that lengthy reading for us this morning just because I wanted a glimpse at the boldness with which Paul proclaimed the gospel. Imagine you had the opportunity to present the gospel to someone who was important. If you did, you'd only want to talk about the things that are important, wouldn't you? You wouldn't want to have a lot of information that wasn't crucial. If you had the opportunity to have the ear of someone important and present them the gospel, you'd want to talk about only the things that were important. You want to make sure that you got your message across. Now, imagine that the person you have the opportunity to talk to was also a very wicked person. So he's a very important person, but he's also a very wicked person. And that wicked person had authority over you and could and probably would use that authority to punish you if he wanted to. Would you be tempted to maybe temper or soft pedal the gospel? Maybe water it down a little bit to tickle the ears? You wouldn't if you were the Apostle Paul. Grant just read to us the nature of Paul and his boldness, how he wouldn't back down from telling people what they needed to hear. Now, he didn't do that in an ugly manner, and he didn't do it out of uh, malice, but if someone needed to hear something, chapter 24, Paul was going to present that truth to him. In Acts chapter 24, verse 24 and 25, a passage that we looked at last week, it jumped out to me as we were looking at that even in class that I had missed an opportunity to have a sermon connected with that. I'm going to remedy that this morning because there's some very important information for us here in Acts chapter 24, beginning of verse 24. After some days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come, Felix was afraid and answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Here Paul gets the opportunity to present the gospel to Felix and his wife, Drusilla. Drusilla. Felix is a go the governor of Judah, or Judea, and he wasn't a very nice man. He was known for being wicked. Tac Tacitus, the historian, says about Felix that he executed the royal prerogative in a slavish sense with all manner of cruelties and excesses. He was a notoriously bad person. And here Paul gets to stand before him and present the gospel to him. Felix was married three times. The, the Drusilla that's mentioned here is not his first wife. It was his second of three. His first wife was also Drusilla, another Drusilla. This was the second Drusilla that he was married to. She was 14, apparently, the first time she had gotten married. And she was a very beautiful woman, apparently, and Felix had lured her away from her first husband, and he had married her when she was 16 years old, apparently. Paul has the opportunity to address this couple with the truths of the gospel, and what does he say? What does he say as he addresses them? Because I think his message is important to us as well. 
Paul reasoned of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Let's look at his message this morning. Paul's sermon to Felix clearly demonstrates to us the importance of righteousness in our lives. We cannot continue to live in sin. If we want to be pleasing to God, we've got to pursue righteousness in our lives. Now, there are some who say it isn't important how you live. In fact, there are some who claim to be Christians who say it isn't important to you and to God how you live, that we're wicked and we'll always be wicked, and you might as well not try. It just doesn't matter. In fact, we need to just focus on Christ and His love for us, some would say, and His grace will cover it all. Live like you want, and as long as you trust in Christ, it doesn't matter if you live a wicked life, if you live a righteous life, it just doesn't really matter. And many wouldn't expressly state it this way, but if you take their teaching to its logical conclusion, that's what you get. That's the gist of it. It just doesn't really matter how you live. And yet Paul, as he's standing in front of Felix, this powerful yet wicked man, Paul realizes he needs to reason about righteousness, about the necessity of living a righteous life. Maybe you've struggled with sin. Maybe you felt that the temptations to sin were insurmountable and that you just couldn't resist, that you couldn't overcome. And you might as well give up that you can't live righteously and that maybe God will just overlook a little bit of sin in your life. Maybe you just don't need to really worry about that, that God will just overlook that. Yet Paul says that we've got to live righteously. It's important. It's so important. The Bible over and over again tells us you don't have to sin and that you must live righteously. And yet the Bible over and over again tells us it's not going to be easy. That we're going to have to struggle and we're going to have to fight to live like we should in this wicked world. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, Paul's instruction to Timothy was, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Paul told Timothy, He needed to pursue righteousness. And if we're going to live righteous lives, we're going to have to pursue it. It's not going to be a passive endeavor. You know, you're not just born righteous and somebody else isn't. No, we're all going to have to work at it to pursue righteousness. Have you ever watched one of those nature videos where the cheetah was chasing or pursuing its prey? You ever watch a cheetah running across that safari? It's a beautiful thing, isn't it? To see that cheetah stretched out and those powerful legs propelling it forward just as fast as it can go. What's that cheetah focusing on as it's pursuing its prey? Its eyes are fixed on that animal, aren't they? And they are going after it with all that they're worth. And so it has to be with us as we strive to live righteous lives for God. We've got to be focused on that. And we've got to be endeavoring with all of our ability to live a righteous life. Pursue it, Paul told Timothy. Pursue righteousness. It's not going to land in your lap. You're not just going to wake up one day and say, well, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I'm righteous. No, we're going to have to pursue it and work toward that goal. Some of them afraid, though, believe that it's just going to happen. Maybe if I just come to church 
and manage it. Maybe if I can just manage to stay awake while that preacher drones on and on. Maybe then I'll just be righteous. It'll just happen. And, well, maybe I'll have to come to Bible class a little bit and listen to Bible class. But nah, just, it's just going to happen. Don't worry. It'll just come. No, we've got to pursue righteousness. Notice Paul's attitude. In Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 12. Philippians chapter 3, beginning of verse 12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which for Christ uh, has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Was Paul pursuing righteousness? Yes. He was reaching forward. He was going on. He was climbing. He was trying to be more and more righteous in his life. We need to make sure that we understand this. That the necessity of living a righteous life. And remember that Paul was preaching to a very wicked man. A man who was notoriously bad. Again, he didn't soft-pedal the issues. He didn't take the opportunity to just be popular and gain uh, a leg up with, with him and so that he could then maybe get some consideration about getting out of his chains. The temptation that we have when we're talking with those who are, have problems in their life is to maybe dance around the issue. Don't talk about the elephant in the room. But Paul's example is that we must talk about sin. We need to do it carefully and with love. We can't avoid teaching about sin because the people that we're talking to need to live righteous lives. We need to live righteous lives. Paul's sermon clearly demonstrates the importance of living a righteous life. I'll tell you what else Paul's sermon to Felix clearly demonstrates, and that is the need for self-control. If we're going to live righteous lives, we've got to have self-control. Thayer defines self-control, the word that is used here for self-control, as the virtue of one who masters his desires, passions, and especially his sensual appetites. Listen to that again. The virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites. Our desires, our passions... Our sensual appetites stand in opposition to us living the righteous lives that God demands of us. And until we can control our desires, our passions, and our sensual appetites, we will not live the lives that God would have us to live. But again, some who would teach and some who would believe that we can't control our passions that we're just going to have to give in, that these passions are often too great for us to control, we're just going to have to give in. Not too long from now, we'll be entering the Catholic season of Lent. And in the Catholic season of Lent, if you've ever had any Catholic friends, you know they, they focus on, on living a, a pure life during the season of Lent. And maybe they'll give up certain things that they view as somewhat uh, worldly to try and live a more dedicated and devoted life. There's something that's interesting that comes right before the season of Lent. And that's the season of the carnival. Mardi Gras is one of those 
carnivals. And the idea being that you're going to have to live a really pure life here for a few weeks. So what you need to do is you need to satisfy all the desires of the flesh now before we have to do this. Just like maybe you're getting ready to go on a diet. And so maybe the day before you go on your diet, you go and you, you splurge a little bit. You eat a lot of those cookies and that cake and that junk food. Because you know you're not going to be able to have it for a while. Well, that's the way they do spiritually. Is we're going to have to go without sin for a while, so let's just live it up now. And do all kind of uh, debauchery and wickedness now because you've got to satisfy these sensual desires. Yet the scriptures tell us exactly the opposite. You don't have to satisfy those fleshly desires. But you have to have self-control. And while the idea of a carnival season where you would live a sinful life seems crazy to us, do we have similar attitudes in our life? Do we make allowance for sin in our life? Do we just accept the fact that, well, I'm going to, I'm going to have to engage in this sin from time to time. I just can't help it. And maybe I'll just live with it. It's just the way that I am. No, Paul tells us how important the need for self-control. And over and over again in the Bible, we see the need for self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 22. Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is that we learn to control ourselves. That we learn to control our desires and our passions and our sensual appetites. That it doesn't control us, but we control it. And Paul believed with all of his heart that self-control was possible. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul said, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul was bringing his appetites and his desires and his passions under control, wasn't it? He was working at this, and it's not going to be easy for us. We're going to have to be devoted to it like Paul was, that we're going to control our desires and our passions. We have to be in control. Sin cannot be in control of our bodies and our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it and its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Don't let sin have control anymore. You take the reins. You drive the bus. You're in control. Don't let sin have control. And we focus a lot on that in our lives, don't we? That we need to be in control. That we need not to be engaging in sins. We need not be doing these things that God would not have pleasure in. But what about our thoughts? Are we engaging in self-control in the area of our thoughts? 
I want to tell you the scriptures are also clear that I need to have self-control over what I do. But I also need to have self-control over what I think and how I think. It has to include our thoughts. Look at Proverbs chapter 25, beginning of verse 28. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. The book of Proverbs says that if you don't control your thoughts, if you let your thoughts just go wherever they go and you don't rein in your thoughts and control your thoughts, you're like a city that is broken down. Walls in those days was in a terrible spot. Because anybody that wanted to have their way with you could just come right through and do whatever they wanted to do. And so it is with our thoughts. If we're not having self-control over the way we think and what we think, then we're in a terrible spot. And the devil can have his way with us whenever he would like. God expects us to be controlling our thoughts. We can't just allow our thoughts to go unchecked. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 tells me I need to bring all of my thoughts into captivity. I need to have control over the things that I'm thinking about. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, five, 10, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look at this. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I need to be controlling what my hands do. I need to be controlling where my feet go. Where my eyes look. But I also need to be crawling where my mind goes. I need to be bringing those thoughts into captivity. Self-control means I have control of my passions and my desires and my appetites. Self-control means I control what I think about. One particular area of note is in the passion of anger. We talked about this Wednesday night, about how Moses was angry. But Moses exhibited self-control when he was faced with that emotion. We're going to get angry from time to time. None of us are immune to being angry. And angry, anger isn't necessarily wrong. But when we experience that emotion, we, like Moses, have to practice self-control. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. When you have the emotion of anger, you've got to have self-control. That passion comes. The blood pressure rises. You start getting red from the collar up. It's time to exhibit and display self-control. There's never justification for us to just fly off the handle, to let somebody really have it when we're being controlled by our passion of anger. No, we've got to control that. We have to have self-control. And no one ever said that controlling our emotions and our passions was going to be easy. There are going to be people who really try our patience There are going to be people who get on our last nerve. There are going to be people who know exactly what button to push to get us flared up. But the Bible says we have to control that passion. Proverbs equates it to something as difficult as conquering a city. In Proverbs 16, verse 32, 
He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It isn't easy to take a city, especially those cities that had walls around them. That was a difficult accomplishment. And God equates that to how it is to control your anger. If you can do that, and it may not be easy, and it's harder for some of us than it is for others, just by the way that we're wired. But if you can do that, you're better than somebody who could take a city. It's not always easy. The guys at work are going to be real difficult. The kids are going to be really difficult. The spouse is going to be really difficult from time to time. Unless you're my wife, she gets to live with someone who isn't difficult ever. But the rest of you, it's going to be hard. We've got to have control of our emotions. Self-control. It isn't easy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance kindness, to godliness, uh, to perseverance godliness, to per godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Having self-control will keep us from stumbling. Having self-control will allow us to see heaven. Paul, in his sermon to Felix, demonstrates to us how important it is to have self-control. Furthermore, as we go on and quickly... Paul, in his sermon to Felix, demonstrates to us that faith in Christ demands obedience. There are some that argue with us when we teach that faith only isn't enough. There are some in many circles who would claim that to be blasphemous, that you have to be obedient. But they say that all we need to do is just talk about Jesus and His love for us. Don't talk about the do's and the don'ts, just focus on Jesus. But look back at the context. I don't know if you can read that from your seat. After some days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. He wanted to know about the faith in Christ. And what does Paul talk to him about? Does he just talk about, well, God loves you and he sent his son and you just need to believe in him? What does he talk about? What does Paul do? He reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Talking about faith in Christ means you've got to talk about living a certain way. You've got to talk about self-control. Faith in Christ means you're obedient to Christ. Felix wanted to know about believing in Jesus. And what did Paul talk about? And there'd be people today who say, wait a minute, Paul, you got that all wrong. No, Paul didn't have it all wrong. Obey Christ. Exactly right. Faith in Christ means you believe, you obey, and obey Christ. It's a package deal. Notice what it says in Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You can't say you have faith in Christ, that He's your Lord and your ruler and your master, and you submit to Him 
if you're not going to do what he said to do. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Paul teaches us the importance of having obedience if we're going to believe in Christ. Others would say, well, you know what, Paul? There's no way in the world that you can convert somebody with a message like that. There's no way in the world you're going to be able to convert Felix by talking to him about self-control. He's gone off and gotten this lady to leave her husband so that he could marry her, and he's all kinds of wicked. You're just going to run him off. You know what? Paul understood that unless you can convince someone to change, you won't convert them. There's no use. If someone's put off by the fact that they've got to live a righteous life with self-control, then what good does it do just to make them happy? We have to convince people of their sin, and Paul does that. And he shows us that faith in Christ demands obedience. Furthermore, Paul shows us clearly that there's going to be a day of reckoning. He reasoned with him of righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. To punctuate the importance of righteousness and self-control, Paul included the undeniable fact that the day of judgment was coming. Again, this isn't a fact that some in the religious world would like to acknowledge. Or if they acknowledge it, they certainly wouldn't want to talk about it to the sinner. Yet the fact remains. We will have to get against Felix and Jerusalem we lived. And Paul used this as he tried to convince Felix and Drusilla about faith in Christ, and he used it over and over again. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter, um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning of verse 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in his body according to that which he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul wasn't afraid to talk about the judgment to come. He used it to persuade men that they needed to change. And it was a terrorizing thing, a scary thing if you're not living like you should. And Paul reminded people over and over again, and he reminds us that there will be a day of reckoning. And finally, from Paul's sermon to Felix, we learn one more thing. And it isn't in Paul's sermon, but it's in the reaction to Paul's sermon. And that is, knowing what you need to do isn't enough. Notice what Felix said to him. Felix was afraid. The message hit home. Paul hadn't tiptoed around the tulips. Paul hadn't been so vague that nobody knew what he was talking about. No, Felix got the message loud and clear. And he was afraid. He knew what he needed to do. He knew he wasn't right with God. He knew his wickedness and how it wasn't acceptable. And he was afraid. But he didn't do anything about it, did he? He answered, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I'll call for you. He knew what he needed to do, and he just put it off. He procrastinated. When he was presented with the truth, when he was brought to the point where he had to make a decision... He kicked the can down the road. And as a result, 
he remained lost. And so it is for us. When we know what we need to do, and yet we procrastinate, we're lost. It's not enough just to know what you need to do. you got to act on that. James chapter 2, beginning of verse 19. You believe there's one God you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? But his faith was dead. And he was just as lost as he was when Paul started his sermon as he was when it was over. Paul's sermon to Felix clearly demonstrates the importance of righteousness, the need for self-control, that faith in Christ demands obedience, that there will be a day of reckoning, and knowing what you need to do isn't enough. When given the opportunity, Paul spoke boldly the truth to Felix, and he teaches us these important lessons. And he's taught us this morning about the importance of righteousness and self-control. And in light of what we've learned this morning, and in light of the fact that a day of judgment is coming, we need to be convinced and committed to not being like Felix, not procrastinating, but doing what we need to do in order to be pleasing to God. What about you this morning? Are you living a life that's pleasing to God? Are you devoted to righteousness and self-control? If, if there's any way that we could help you spiritually this morning, would you please let us know? Would you let us know while we stand and while we sing?